0: Let us pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, we just uh, Lord, we, we thank you so very much for allowing us to, to be able to appreciate this season that we're in. And Lord, I, I pray that uh, that this word that I will bring today, Lord, will just uh, be edifying our souls, Lord, that it would allow us to be able to to sing as Mary's song, as she was so excited about what you have done in her life and what you were doing in the world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, sweet. We got lights up here now. Usually it's really dark and I'm blind. And so I always struggle with my notes, but praise the Lord. The tides are coming in. <laughs> All right. How's everybody doing today? How's everybody doing today? Blessed. Blessed. All right. Highly favored. See, I was waiting for that, but um, you don't know about that sometime. But we'll see. Hey, my name is Alvin. I'm an elder here at MacGav Community Church, and um, I'll be bringing a word. Um, just a few things. Um, here at MacGav, it's okay to ask a question if you feel like it's something that will be edifying to the body. Uh, if it's something that's personal, uh, feel free to just come to me or one of the elders after service. Amen? Amen. Um, one of the things that I was reminded to do um, this sermon um, was to keep it short. Um, First, Leon gave me the, um, the first suggestion. He was like, hey, you know, uh, we're doing the Christmas program. So, um, you know, as you're doing sermon prep, you know, just know you only got to do at least 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Then I see Jenny and she goes, hey, Alvin, how's the sermon prep going? You know, um, we got the children's story. We got the children's program going on. So uh, we want to keep it brief, Right. And so I spent this morning just kind of treating my sermon like an after Christmas sale, just slashing it by fifty percent, seventy-five percent. So we're gonna see how this go. So I just want to start like, how's your Christmas coming along? How's Christmas going for you so far? Are you ready? It's blessed. I'm still blessed. You still blessed? Uh, is everything ready? Are you all set? is coming regardless. And (laughs) it's like a storm. The beautiful thing is Advent is this wonderful time where we could sit and meditate and just really think about what the Lord has done by coming um, and then be able to think and meditate on Him returning. But boy, it is so hard to do that this time of season. Or is it just me? And every year I go, you know what? I'm not going to let this season get to me. I'm going to focus. I'm going to have my time with the Lord. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to just, he is the reason for the season. And I start good. This year, I started listening to Christmas music right after Thanksgiving. (laughs) Right? I was on a good track. Good track. But I'm telling you, once you get in the heart of December, it just gets really it gets really grinding, you know. I'm a postman, and so uh, I'm delivering packages, and um, so you got the package, the busyness, and then I go, oh, now I gotta go shopping, and I'm in the mall, and 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 I'm just I'm frustrated because it's so packed, the lines are long, um, people are taking all day to make purchase decisions. I'm hungry, and. <laughs> And what I should have done, and I just remember just getting, like, frustrated. And what I should have done, and I fell short of the glory of God, I should have just stepped back and just meditate on what this season is really about. But I chose to grab a Cinnabon. (laughs) Right. So what I want to do on this Christmas Eve Eve, just really quick, I, I want you to have a soulful Christmas. Amen? Amen. And our text today is uh, Luke 1, 46 through, 40, through 55. And it begins with this. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Amen. Let me read that again. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Have anyone had this this moment this season where you were so excited, um, so joyful to think about what God has done in your life that you just burst out into song? You see, as I'm wrestling with this season and now having to do sermon prep, you know, my, my heart was like, Lord, I want this to be a reality in my life. Like, I want this song to be, uh, uh, just to be what I praise and sing unto you and tell the world what you have done. And so what is it that has gotten... Mary so excited? Well, we go in uh, Luke 1, verse 26, we see that angel, that Mary had a visit from the angel Gabriel, and he came to her, and he says, greeting, O favor one, the Lord is with you. Now, when the angel came to Mary, it's it's no big, it's very, it's understandable that She was kind of taken back. You know, you're minding your business, and here comes this angel. And the angel says, "'Greeting, O favor one.' But she was greatly troubled at the sand, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus.' He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And so Mary hearing this, her response was, how can this be? For I am a, a virgin. And it wasn't a, a doubtful response. She believed what was going on, what the angel was saying but she was kind of bewildered like how is this it's going to happen? And the angel said to her the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so she gets this news and what is Mary's response? She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so here you have this this young girl. Someone says between 13, 14 years old. She gets this extraordinary calling on her life. And her, her first response is, let it be. I am your servant. And you think about her condition and, and her, her plight in life. She was an oppressed woman. She was marginalized, right? We will call, she will be what we will call a double minority, right? She was dealing with, she had to deal with not only racism, classism, sexism. She had to deal with all this, and now she's pregnant. And so she leaves, and with haste, she goes to visit her aunt, Elizabeth. And this is probably about a hundred, what is it, a hundred mile travel. And so I was just thinking, like, what was it that she was thinking about on her trip? What were the thoughts going on her head? What was the thoughts in her mind? And, and And I wonder if it was just that it was... First shock. Like, really? Me? Like, who am I to have this great blessing bestowed on me? And so she gets to Elizabeth's house. And as she walks in the door, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby leaped in her womb. Her aunt Elizabeth was also pregnant with John the Baptist, who would have been the front-runner for Jesus. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the body, the baby in my womb, leaped for joy, and blessed Is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so now, you know, I'm thinking she dealing with the shock. She's processing these things and she steps in the house and Elizabeth immediately goes into worship, immediately calling her blessed, immediately reminder of the things that the angel has talked about. And in that moment, I believe the shock was gone. And she went into just a moment of pure joy and worship. And she sang a song, a beautiful, soulful Christmas hymn. Amen? Amen. And as she began to sing... The thing she she sung about was, one, what God has done in her life. She gave her personal testimony, and then she began to talk about what God is doing in the world. And so we're going to start with our personal testimony. She says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done a great thing for me, and holy is his name. Mary was a very humble child. Just imagine, you are now prophecy realized. She went from a place of just kind of being a nobody, just a regular woman, you know, basic, um, nothing. Um, her her plight <laughs> in life, not nothing, I'm sorry, that didn't come out right. She had nothing, right? She was poor. And it's funny, I saw Sarah's face. I said, oh, I said something. Um, and she was oppressed. Let me get back focused. Stop that. Um, and really her plight, you know, the biggest thing that happened to her was she got engaged to a carpenter. And so this is not a young woman who really had a bright future but now her whole life shift and even though her social status will remain the same her spiritual status has been elevated. She says blessed that they will call me blessed so that the world so historically we know who Mary is. You cannot talk about Christmas and in the incarnation, without talking about the Virgin Mary, you cannot. She had she had the blessing of having just a really intimate relationship with Jesus that none of us experienced. She was his mother. She will be the one to raise him, and so now she's excited because she went from just kind of being what the world would deem as a nobody to someone that now has. Um, historical um, implications associated with her. And this has really got me thinking about our names and how we are called blessed. I was having a great conversation with Edith and Rebecca um, last week. And one of the things we were talking about was uh, women in our community, specifically the single mothers in our community. And we was trying to and we were processing ways to reach them um, how to apply the gospel um, in their situation. And one of the things that Edith brought up is that they need to know that they're queens. And I agree. right? One of the things is just like Mary you have these, these names and these titles associated to you based on your plight or titles that really is meant to dehumanize you. And so so often our our single mothers are simply referred to as a baby mama or uh, the welfare queen or just all these really um, terrible names to really dehumanize them. And so one of the ways that as a people we combat this, because it's not just our women but also our men, is that we started to look at ourselves and be reminded of our history and say, no, we're not what you've called us. We are kings. We are queens. We have a very rich history. And so this ideal of being called a king or being called a queen is something that would really help us um, see one another with value and dignity. And then Rebecca t- chimed in and she was saying that you know, something that is also important is them for them to understand that they're daughters. Right. Just looking for my notes, the importance of them seeing themselves as daughters, and it's beautiful because one of the things is is that. Even kings and queens could get knocked off their throne, as we will see later on in this verse. But there's that, that beautiful intimacy that we are adopted by Christ. That, we are, are, that through Christ, we want become sons and daughters of a king. And then we also become co-heirs with Christ. And I'm looking for a verse that I thought I had down here. It was Romans. Um, anyway, I'm missing the page. Don't know what happened to it. But, but the beautiful things is that how those two things play, right? The ideal of being a daughter, but at the same time being royalty. And I think this is just a beautiful uh, way of sharing the gospel to those in our community, to remind them, like, yes, you do have the opportunity to be a king and to be a queen, to be able to, like, raise their view of God, but the king and queen that you're talking about is very low in comparison to what God will have for you as in his royal courtyard. Amen? And so Mary now is considered blessed. She is considered... um, All right, so she's, I'm sorry, I just got lost my train of thought. Um, so she's considered blessed amongst all women. The next part is verse 48. And in verse 48, is this on the, I'm sorry, my nose. I'm going to have to go over. For he has looked on a humble estate of his servant, for behold, For now on, all generations will call me blessed. Can you go to the next one? For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Here she goes, and what I like about this is Mary is blessed, but her blessing is not something that she just saw as this thing that it was all about her. Unfortunately, what's going on in our community, what's going on in the church, is this ideal of of chasing your personal blessings, um, chasing your purpose, right? What they say, the praises goes up and the blessings what? Come down, right? And so it's this kind of distorted way of seeing blessings and, and understanding what it is to be blessed. But here you have Mary, and she got this very beautiful huge calling and she didn't make it about herself. Right? She saw herself in the grand plan that God has for redemption. And she goes from her own personal testimony and she kind of bridged her testimony with the testimony that the world will have and she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generations to generation. And to fear the Lord is simply to treat the Lord with his just due, with reverence, with honor, with praise. And she talks about his mercy. Now, I want to give you a definition for mercy, and mercy is God's tenderness his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. It is his tenderness of the heart toward the needy. Again, God's mercy is his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. It is his tenderness heart uh, toward the needy. Now, we often talk about God is good, Amen. And one of the ways and one of the primary ways that we experience God's goodness is through his mercy. In Exodus 34, 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, in this passage, you have four ways man experienced God's mercy. First, merciful. That's his compassion and pity and concern for the needy and the miserable. Then you have gracious. It's his unmerited favor, his kindness. And then you have the fact that he's slow to anger. God withholding judgment and continuing to offer salvation over a long period of time. A long period of time from generations from generation to generation. Have you ever just stopped, and I know oftentimes when we read scripture we come across the word generation. Have you ever just stopped to kind of think about our generation? Like what would the history books write about this generation? And I know for some of us it probably won't be the best look for the church. But That's kind of how it's been with God's people throughout time. There's this time of great revival. Even when we were going through Nehemiah and they had this fantastic revival. And we just like bet it's going down. This is it. They're celebrating. They're going to be the light to the world that God has called them to be. And by the end of the chapter, they went back to their own ways, to their old ways. But the beautiful thing about steadfast love and about God's mercy, like like first there's mercy that is given to everyone, right? And it's common grace. But then there's this special mercy and love that he gives to his chosen people, and this is his, what some would call his loyal love or his, his steadfast love. And that is that love where God was serious when he made covenant with Israel and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that even though the people at times will fall in adultery and rebellion and all these other things, all throughout history, God is still saying, you're my son, you're my daughter's. Now, that came with some discipline, right? Because that's what a loving father would do. But he always held true to his promises. He always remained faithful. He always made, remained steadfast. And so even as I was thinking about our generation, how is it that God has loved this generation? We could talk about all the drama, and trust me, there's plenty of drama but have you sat back and just say, man, what is the Lord doing? How is he showing his church love? And when you see that, you still have people coming to Christ, even through our messiness. Now, we want to have a standard. I don't want us to be like, hey, we messy, and God going to use us in spite of. But even in the midst of our messiness, God can still use us. And he's still loving his church. And when you think about history and they say this time is the most persecuted time of the church ever, but you still see these churches flourishing in these countries. And it just reminds me of this scripture where it says His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Next verse. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now when you see he has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in their thoughts and hearts. First of all, the strength with his arm, this is um, a symbol of God's power. And when other scriptures, so first let me I'm still trying to find my way, because um, I do got some good scriptures here. All right. All right. I got two minutes. All right. So... All right, so so when we see the strength of his arm, we remember in Exodus where God talked about delivering Israel with a mighty outstretched arm. Amen. And so what it talks about is when you see God's arm being outstretched, it's a good thing, right, for the believers. But there's also this element of like fear and judgment. So whenever you see in scripture and it talks about God using an outstretched arm to deliver his people, to save his people, it is also coming with judgment because he's knocking kings off their thrones. And we saw that with Pharaoh. And we have seen that all throughout history. So as we talk about um, God being with his people from generation from generation, with that mercy comes, his power, right? Mary also sang about the power of God. And so when you think about all the governments that has toppled over time, whether it was Rome, whether it was Hitler, Mussolini, the Confederate, all these thrones and all these governments eventually are struck down. And when you get this picture of God's outstretched arm. And his hand, just think about this sweeping motion that's just coming through in a powerful, mighty way, knocking cats off their thrones. But at the same time, his hand is, is picking up his children and exalted them. It's a beautiful picture of God's power and his, his mercy, but also his continuing care for his children. And that he not only will save us um, from our calamities, but he also saves us from the bondage of sin. He saves us from eternal damnation. And so in this next passage, we see these two people groups going on. We see the humble and we see the proud. We see that what he does with the proud that he knocks them off the throne, that he scatters their thoughts. But then he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble state. Can you bring up the next scripture? He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. One of the things about wicked rulers is that while they're on the throne, oftentimes they're not benevolent wicked rulers, right? That they are oppressive, that they are um, putting themselves on a throne and trying to make themselves equal with God. But God is saying that with the coming of His Son, He's going to reverse all that, and that one day He will ultimately knock all these rulers down, and it will be the humble and the hungry that will be exalted. Now, when you think about the hungry, and we, um, the hungry, those who are thirsting, who are looking for something outside of themselves. When we look at this time of year and we see all the, the peace and the love and the joy on Christmas ornaments, coffee cups, um, reefs, everywhere. It's a beautiful time of year there's lights, and there's, there's those religious Christmas songs, but then there's also those humanistic Christmas songs. And I can't help, there's some of them I do like, you know, Temptation is Christmas, is still. Anyway, but what you see, even in the midst of Christmas, and I think this is like an extraordinary time of year because you see it so clearly. You see the humble, and you see the, the haughty, You see the proudful. You see those who are spiritually rich. Now, we know that the gospel has social implications for the poor, but there's also these spiritual implications. And when we think about man and we think about his arrogance and his pride, one of the things that is just extraordinary is, is that he believed that it's his love that can actually bring peace to this earth that man actually think his fickle, moody, situational, finite love can bring about peace and hope and love that can establish shalom throughout the world. That's that's, kind of arrogant, right? But It is those who realize that there's nothing in themselves that they can do um, to please the Lord is when those who realize that I need something outside of myself, that my soul hurts. You know, Mary, she was so joyful. She was praising the Lord her social conditions didn't change, but, her, but she grew in her faith in that moment. She was magnifying the Lord, that she was exalting the Lord. She was making him large in her life. She seen him in a way that she had never seen him in her life. This was a sister. She was hungry. How do I know she was hungry? the one thing that you will see about Mary as you look through the infancy narratives is that she was always contemplating and pondering the things of God. That in Luke, what was it? Luke 2.19. When the angels were singing, I believe we had, I don't know, this is my beard. When the angels were singing, and giving glory to God and, and 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 with the shepherds in the field and it was just this beautiful moment she had stepped back and she was just taking it all in and she and it said the scripture says that she was treasuring and pondering the things that she heard and you see this several times even when Simeon gave her the prophecy that you're just you're going to be cut to the core Right to tell her like you're gonna watch your son die. She pondered those things, and when you think, and when the scripture talks about pondering and treasuring, she kept those things really close to her heart. You see, that's what a hungry person do. That's what the spiritually poor does. To be spiritually poor, and when scripture says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Is those people who just realize, like, I have nothing to give. I'm lost without you. That I'm a mess. I'm messing up things down here. My love cannot save me. My love cannot save my community. My love cannot usher shalom. I need you. And when you, like Mary, begin to meditate, on the word of God and begin to meditate and ponder and Advent is a lifestyle for you. That's too when you would experience the the true joy and love that Mary is experiencing in this passage of scripture. This is when that hope will become a reality to you. This is what begins to stir up that, that desire to not only preach and sing, and praise the Lord, but it's also that missional element where you want to go out and tell the world who is hurting, who are who is lost, that there is hope, that there is a merciful God, and that if you would just repent and not seek peace and the love and the hope that the world offers, but that you will find it in Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate manifestation of God's love for us. The fact that God would not spare anything to save us shows us the depths of God's love towards man. And the last scripture. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offsprings forever. Man. It started in Genesis 315. in that beautiful uh, passage where in one sense it was ugly. Man rebelled against God. He's given them everything. But yet they chose to question his love and question his goodness. But but God is so merciful that even before he kicked them out of the garden, even though, even before he disfellowshipped them, he gave them hope. And now that hope is realized in Mary's womb. And so family, again, my desire is that we will all have a soulful Christmas. My desire is that we would take this season of Advent and continue it throughout the rest of our years. And that the ideal of Advent, the ideal of what God has done for us, and the fact that Jesus Christ will return and establish true shalom and his kingdom on the earth, I pray that we would just be a people that would continually meditate on that. I was reading um, Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines, and he talked about meditation, um, the spiritual discipline of meditation. And what he did was he talked about, uh, he gave the example of you got a, a cup of tea, right? You got a tea bag. And you take that tea bag and you dip it once in the water what would happen? You're not going to get a lot of tea in there, right? Just a quick dip. And oftentimes what we do is like when we hear these things and we hear the words and we hear a sermon, it kind of just stays in this moment and we just kind of dip the tea bag and then we continue throughout our week. But what he was talking about is that when you dip the bag and you leave the bag in there, it begins to saturate and permeate and, 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 and bring flavor to the water, that it really begins to, to seep in. And my prayer is that in order to really be able to experience what Mary experienced, to be able to have uh, your, your whole soul, I love the fact that she says, my soul, my being, Exhausts you and magnifies you, Lord. Because when we are struggling, isn't it our whole being that hurts? When we are dealing with depression, it's our whole being that hurts. And oftentimes we could find these escapes, but the escapes only give us a temporary relief, but we're still struggling. But when we are able to get that word deep into our hearts, when it goes from our mind to our heart, from our intellect to our soul, this is when we begin to really experience God's joy and really be able to grow in our understanding and our appreciation of God's love. Amen? Amen. And so the application is really simple. Meditate on these truths. In Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He would dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Think about that, that there is a time where there will be a funeral for our tears There's a time where there will be no more crying, no more hashtags, no more uh, situations like Centennial Brown, right? No more poverty, no more illness, no more saying goodbye, no more dealing with the capitalism of Christmas, but that we will truly be spending eternity with our Savior, experiencing rest. Mary meditated on the Old Testament promises, and we see that because as we read this passage of Scripture, this wasn't brand new, inspired words. This was a child, a teenager, who went to synagogue, listened to Rabbi Leon, you know, went and listened to You know, brother and sister Bowman, right, went to our children's ministry. This was a young girl that meditated deeply on the things of God and was able to recite all those things. You know, one of the things, and I'm going to leave you with this I love Christmas programs and I love the children singing. Because I remember at the moment of my salvation, the song that was in my heart was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so. And I remember my grandmother, who had a great faith, who believed and trusted in the promise of God, knew that if she could get that word into her grandbaby, that he could be saved sure enough at Rouge Park and I'm feeling the weight of my sin, I'm feeling the dread of judgment because I knew my life was one that if I was to die, I would be eternally doomed. But that song, that song played in my song and it played in my heart and it gave me a melody. And at that moment when I realize who Jesus Christ was when I realized what John 3.16 meant that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That who should ever believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was the moment of my salvation. That was one of the most joyful moments that I have ever experienced in my life. And so Mothers, fathers, continue to plant that seed into your children. May we as adults continue to plant that seed in ourselves. And let us go out into our communities and preach hope. Preach salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, just thank you so much, Lord, for saving us. Lord, that you have brought us all to a place of recognizing our lowly estate. Some of us in poverty, some of us middle class, resource. But at the same time, Lord, you brought us to the same place of, of realizing that we need you. That you are the only one that can heal our souls and that Jesus Christ is the only one that can reconcile to you, reconcile us to you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we continue to celebrate this Advent season, Lord, that we will all be able to just take time from the world's lights and the eggnog and just all those other great things and to be able to sit back and and to be like Mary and just take a moment to treasure, and to ponder those things. Lord, those things that we, we already get, Lord, I pray that you allow us to grow deeper in, those understanding, in the understanding of your truth and love and those things that still seem to be a mystery that we still don't kind of get or that we're struggling to believe, Lord. I pray that you will help us through our unbelief. Lord, we believe, but help us through our unbelief. And Lord, I pray for our children, that all of them that stood on this stage, Lord, that the scriptures, that the songs, that all these things that in their preparation, Lord, Lord, I pray that that will be the meditation of their hearts. Lord, I pray that one day they will have that moment when they will realize their need for you. And then they will shout like Mary. My soul magnifies you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.